0: Real stories.
1: Real stories. Real people. I just can't believe it. It was one of the most exciting times of my life. I just, I just can't believe that it happened to me. Me, winning
0: the lottery. I just can't believe it. Real stories. Real stories. Real people.
2: Winning the premiership was awesome. Felt great holding the trophy.
0: So it happened when I was 15 and it was pretty scary at the time. But you know, looking back, I, I think I do a lot. It's my life. Hello and welcome to It's My Life, where we talk to local people and hear some of their incredible stories about their lives. I'm Carenza and I'm joined today by my co-host, Kim.
1: How you doing, Corinza? Oh,
0: pretty good, Kim, and how are you? I'm
1: good, I'm good.
0: Well, today our very special lo- local guest is Glenn Murdoch, and he's here to share his story to us, um, from being a PE teacher to an entrepreneur and all of the highs and lows that have been part of his journey. Now, today's program does come with an advisory and a trigger warning. that Some of the discussions today will include the topics of abuse, mental illness and suicide. So if any of today's conversations impact you, you can call Lifeline Australia on 13th, Now, Glenn, otherwise known as Doc, is one of Australia's leading personal development trainers and former Teacher of the Year winner. He is the founder and CEO of the Life Coaching College that he established right here uh, in Dingley, actually. And as a mentor, coach, and teacher, Glenn has inspired and influenced thousands of people from all around the world. But it hasn't always been easy for Glenn. He spent the first 30 years of his life struggling with mental health issues, including anorexia and bulimia. He experienced abuse as a child and periods of homelessness as a young man. In fact, Glennis has survived multiple suicide attempts and eventually, in his words, turned his life around through personal development work and addressing his self-talk. These are some of the same tools that he helps to coach other people on today. But getting here hasn't been easy. In Glenn's words, the road has been full of bumps, speed humps, wrong way signs and the odd sleepless night each week. It's the journey and the experiences in Glenn's life that has led him here. So here to share his story with us this afternoon is Glenn. Welcome to the show, Glenn.
2: Hi, Karenza. Hi, Kim. Thanks for having me.
0: It's fantastic to have you here with us this afternoon.
1: Yeah, hi, Glenn. Now, um, we usually always start at the start around childhood and and I was lucky enough to know you um, back then as a kid. Uh, I remember a kid that was right into cricket and I don't think you ever went anywhere without a bat in your hand uh, and a ball. So do you want to tell us a little bit about you as a kid and, and what it was like growing up?
2: Yeah um, it, it, it's funny you know I, I, I was thinking about this on the way in actually just today. I, I've kind of got my life segmented. I think there's this kind of that um, that zero to seven or eight where I almost don't remember anything it was sort of like a this big missing link. I don't really have any memories from there. And then there's like this 8 to 15 or 16 um, kind of year image where I think you're at the tail end of that mm-hmm. where it, I, I remember be, um, feeling really isolated. I think I had a family of five kids, mum and dad, but it, it was still one of those things. I think you know most of my older brothers and sisters had moved out. I remember spending hours and hours and hours throwing a ball into a wall, hitting the ball back, um I think it was a you know it was it, it was really cricket or bust for mm-hmm. me you know yeah. it's, I loved it and played it and talked about it and that was kind of all that I did um so it was it was a pretty lonely time like you know if I think about it as a as a time frame so um I think that's the the overriding thing you know I remember being alone I was I, you probably you might have got the tail end of it Kim but I was the biggest kid in school, mm-hmm. you know, the fattest kid in school, um, and that was tough. You know, that was a that was a tough thing as well. I do remember, um, I do remember a lot of comments about that. I remember the "Fat Albert" song "Word Perfect." I got that all the time at school. So there's a lot of stuff going on that, you know, that you kind of have to deal with. I think as a kid, that so I don't. I don't really remember those years fondly and think, wow, it was a really cool childhood, it was great. It was Yeah. I, I remember it being pretty tough, pretty isolated. Mm. Kids um, can
1: be very cruel. Yeah, mm.
2: yeah. I I, I I was lucky in a sense that I had this one thing that I was semi good at and yeah. I think that was the thing that, that, that helped me number one, because I guess the cool kids Kind of liked the fact I was good at sport. You know, I made the cricket team and played footy and did some of that stuff, which yeah. I think was really helpful. Mm. Um, but it also gave me this thing I loved, you know, more than anything else. So mm. no matter what was happening, um, I knew Saturday morning when I woke up, I was able to play cricket all day Saturday in the juniors or the seniors. Uh, I knew Tuesday night was cricket. I knew Thursday night was cricket. And every other night I could play cricket on my own or yeah. watch it or, and that was no matter what the season was. So um, but it, it it was I think it was a really isolating time. I do remember that.
0: Mm. So, Glenn, you've talked quite openly, I guess, about your experiences of abuse as a child, and I think one of the things that we know is that you know abuse um, thrives on fear and silence. You know, people don't talk about it. and um, talking about it openly is obviously something that's quite a powerful thing. but you talk a lot about um men in particular being really good at putting a mask on and, and actually how you think you might have been one of the best people ever at doing something like that, putting that mask on. Um, yeah. Tell us a bit about that.
2: Yeah, I think it was one of my superhero powers. Um, <laughs> I, I like to think that now I'm very open. I'm happy to talk to anyone about the things that happened to me. Um, I'm really happy to be on here and, you know, there'll be, there'll be nothing here that I won't talk about because I know somewhere outside of here, whether it's live or later, there'll be someone who will hear this and they might be where I was and they might think that, you know, um, being a man with an eating disorder is weird or being a boy with an eating disorder is weird. Um, Having thoughts um, that you want to end it all, you know, I think it's really important that that they hear the fact that um, you can come through that and I I definitely did. No one knew any of this about me. Mm. Um, I remember um, probably when I was 30, was the first time I ever even talked about any of this. And, and I remember the shock of my close friends. That like, didn't happen to you, we are talking about. Um, so, yeah, I hid all of it. I didn't, you know, I didn't tell anyone at school. Um, you know, you, I was ashamed, I was embarrassed. Um, and I think also I, I normalised a lot of what was happening. I didn't necessarily think that wasn't happening, you know. Everyone's father was, you know, get the strap out or do whatever I don't think everyone's father put their kids in hospital but um I think that you know you you kind of feel like it was normalized the eating disorder um, was always the biggest shame for me I think that was that was something that I was always really quite shameful about um I'm not now but but I you know I, I do look back at that time and think I'd never wanted anyone to find out about that I mean you know when you go from being 96 kilos or 98 kilos or whatever I was about a foot shorter than I am now to 56 kilos, people do start to wonder what might mm. be going on. But but for me, um, it was never, are you okay? It was, wow, you look great. Mm. And I fed on all of that, um, not literally because I wasn't eating, but it, mm. you know, with every person who told me I looked better um, – I think I wanted to lose more weight. It was, and I was so attached to the skinnier that you get, the better that mm. you know, the, the the more nice comments that you'll have. Um, I know that as females, you guys have lived with this all of your life—the the body image and the um, the fat shaming, and you know the bikini-clad models on the you know—and and I'll be honest, I look. Um, I look at that happening with men now as well and I, th- I think about the teenage boys yeah. um, and the younger guys and, and I think they would be feeling I'm sure enormous pressure to have these incredible bodies with great abs and muscles and you know so I I think there's you know th- there's more pressure now way more pressure now than there was you know certainly back for me but um, I hit it no one knew and I got lots of applause you know created uh a, a really, um, a really, really terrible eating disorder, and um, nobody really knew about it. And, I, and even if they did know, they didn't say anything. Like mm. I suspect my mum knew. I think I, I, I'm not sure, um, but she never. You know, my mum my was incredible, but she she was she never sat down and said, "Hey, you've lost half your body weight. Maybe we should talk about it." And you haven't, you know. But I was. I was very good at hiding, mm. you know. Like even if it was like, "Hey, you should eat something." Mm.
0: I ate earlier. I had some, I've had something earlier. I'm full now. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Or yeah, I'll eat it, and I'm just going to go for a run, and I'd go and you know, purge in the mm. next door neighbor's garden or whatever grossness that ended up looking mm. like. Yeah. But I, I, I always feel like I was a very high functioning kind of mess mm. up. Mm. Um, I, you know, I would, I did well at school. At the end of high school. Um, I don't think I ever looked depressed or you know I've always had a I think I've always had a pretty good humor I like to be funny and lighten the room so I don't think anyone really knew what was going on inside at all and I think that was why um, I I had a suicide attempt at 15 I think that was why that was such a shock and no one knew what to do with me or what to do about that because it came out of nowhere
0: I think some of that is because I guess if you hold something in for such a long time, something in the end has to give.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think I just I think well I know that the, and I've got, it, I used to write a diary. I my sister bought me um, the secret diary of Adrian Mole the book, mm-hmm. um, and so I read that and then I I ran out and bought a journal, an A4 journal, and I and I wrote a journal every day for about ten years, and I have the journal entry actually from the week leading into that and the day of. And I've, I've read it, you know, I've read it a couple of times just to see what was going on. Um, and I know this is going to sound um, a bit weird now, but I had my first ever girlfriend leading into this event. Um, I'd lost all the weight at that time. So, um, you know, it was looking really good and, you know, people thought everything was going really great. But I had no self-love mm. at all. And every single... Um, I think every single ounce of love that I felt, I felt purely because she loved me. By the way, nothing to do with her, right? It's all me. Um, But um, I think when we broke up and I felt like that was gone, I'd invested so much of me into this relationship. Mm. And and I say this because I see the pattern, right? I see the pattern Mm. with people I've coached now and people we work with. Um, You know, when you think about the the needs that we have as people you know the the need to be loved the need to feel like you count the need for certainty the need for adventure all of those needs i was getting out of her Mm. um and cricket i guess when i when i think about it now and it was gone Mm. and suddenly i didn't feel like i was going to be able to meet any of those needs anywhere and i think that's what it is you know it's like well no one will ever love me again and when there's no self-love, that's the natural thought, you know. Yeah. Why would they? How could they? Um, and as a kid, you know, I made a really dumb choice. And luckily, incredibly luckily for me, you know, I, I woke up a couple of days later and, and that you know, that sort of didn't pan out the way that I think I was... I was hoping it would pan out, which is great. But I think it's... I, I think it's... um it's not having the knowledge of you're going to be okay no matter what you know to me it's it's the self-love thing that would change everything as a parent i'm very big on that with my kids Mm. you know just you're it you know no you know if there's a force field around you an impenetrable force field it doesn't matter what people will say to you it doesn't matter what they do to you it doesn't matter what happens around you Mm. can't it can't change who you are you're you know you're the one. I didn't have any of that. I, you know, I wasn't... I didn't have the force field at that time, that's for sure.
1: Did you have any other supports around you at such an early age?
2: Of course I did. Yeah. I didn't see them. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, if as I look back now, I could have gone to any one of ten teachers mm-hmm. at my school, I kid you not, and said to any of them, I need help here. But I didn't. Mm-hmm. If I had, if they would have helped. I could have gone to my sister, my other sister, my other sister um my mum probably 10 of the parents of my friends Mm -hmm. I I could have gone to all of those people um and reached out to them and I'm certain every single one of them would have done their best to try and help me out but I didn't um I didn't feel like there was anyone who was there to help me Mm. so
0: why do you think that was Glenn what do you think was happening for you that you felt really alone like you say you're describing all these people around you and looking back you know any one of them would have helped you what's What's the thing that stops, stops you? You talk about, you know, we wear the masks, it's easier to wear the masks.
2: And, and I think it is the mask. I think the mask, when, when you're wearing that mask and you have a relationship with people, um, I don't think that, well, I know for me, I was probably never vulnerable enough for them to say, hey, is everything okay? Mm. Because I was so good at hiding. So no one knew anything was wrong. Because nothing ever was wrong outside of my head. Mm. Inside of my head, everything was wrong. Yeah. But outside of my head, nothing was wrong. So I could pretend forever that everything was great. Um, yeah, you know, he's sad. He broke up with his girlfriend. Don't worry. You'll get another one. Don't worry. Like, the, the, you'll get the, over it. she yeah, be yeah, 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 yeah. It's her loss, not yours, all that stuff, right? Um, but internally, I, I think that whole self-worth thing was playing out mm. in a way that, I didn't think it was right. By the way, I I know looking back now um, and reading through my diary entries and looking through that, I know now that that teenage love, that teenage love is is so unbelievably strong. It you know, and I and I think if there's any parents listening, I want you to to go back and remember how crazy that love is it's it's incredibly intense and there's so much going on with hormones mm. i think it can be easy to just go ah you know it's a crush oh it's your you know and i was 15 16 whatever you know
0: everything's going on at that age isn't it everything yeah is going on.
2: and but and but the relationship is real it's yeah. as mm. real as any relationship i have ever had with regard to the feelings and the emotions and um so i you know i i, I look back and i think even having open conversations about that like you know i I think sometimes i've seen parents kind of dismiss young love as young love Mm -hmm. it's not it's love yeah it's love and they're crazy in love with each Mm -hmm. other and can't stand to be a minute away from each other you know and that's i was certainly like that with um you know with her back way back in the day
0: so you are listening to It's My Life here on Radio Karen with Kim and I and we are chatting this afternoon with uh, Glenn really about his life story and I guess some of those early parts of your life that you know i think shape who you are today but we'll come on to that so look we do ask all of our guests to um choose some music and i think the one that you know out of the songs that you've chosen the power of love um seems to be a, a really poignant song um um celine Dion's song so what is it about this song that you think that's you know that, that talks to you
2: well i can share a story but only if you don't tell anyone okay. okay we'll try we we went to see celine my wife and i you know when we were allowed to do things back in the day and um, she, she sang The Power of Love, first up, number, number one song. And I've always wondered, who are these people at concerts that cry? Like, who are these weirdos that cry when, you know, they're at a concert? Mm. And I blubbed like a baby for the whole of this song. And Beth looked at me and she's like, are you crying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm crying because it was the most amazing moment. Because, number one, I love this song so much. And it's every bit of, you know, and you're listening to that song, and it's as loud as it can be. And this song is often on my car, as loud as it can be, driving up to lights. And uh, you know, this bald guy sitting at the uh, <laughs> at the lights, this fifty year old bald guy belting out this Celine Dion ballad. To me, it's it, it it's it's all of the love that you could ever have. For uh, the big one for me is Beth and the kids, and and you know this this ability to actually think, wow, I have the most powerful thing in the planet within me and it's, you know, it it, it is love. And every time I hear it, I think of her and I think of the, you know, the journey that I've been on and um, how great love is. Mm -hmm. So...
1: Well, just before we play that song, I can totally relate, Glenn, because I saw Celine Dion in Vegas, and uh, I bawled my eyes out too. Good, she is amazing, and and I, I don't know what it is about her, but yeah, I was blubbering as well.
0: Something very, very important, I guess, about love. So here is Celine.
1: Hi, this is Steve Stakos, the Mayor of the City of Kingston, and you're listening to Radio Carom.
0: And you are listening to Radio Karam It's My Life, uh, where we are talking to Glenn Murdoch about his 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 life as part of It's My Life. Now, just a reminder that today's program does come again with that advisory and trigger warning um, because some of the conversation, in particular the conversation we're about to have now, will cover the topic of abuse, mental illness and suicide. And again, if any of today's conversations impact you and you feel that you don't have anyone else to talk to, you can call Lifeline Australia on 13 11 11. 14. Well, thanks, Len. um, We've been talking a lot about your childhood, and you've talked a lot about how hard it was to talk and the secrets that you had and that you hid. Um, And obviously, the the secret of abuse was a big part of your life as a young boy growing up. Um, So could you tell us a little bit about some of the things that were happening for you?
2: Yeah, I, I think it was the biggest secret um, and I think it was probably the manifestation of everything um, later on. I had, a, I had a really abusive father. I look back now and, um, and I think he obviously had some pretty significant undiagnosed mental issues. Um, as a grown man, I look back now and, and I think, God, I can't even imagine what he must have gone through. And that's all been part of my journey to get to where I'm at now where it's, you know, it is what it is. But um, he put me in hospital a, a few times um he he was violent to the point where he couldn't stop when he started. I don't know what the you know I don't I'm not sure what that trigger was in a sense that it could be anything. I might have you know said something I um, know I broke a window once and that ended up with me going into hospital um but it, it was this um this kind of look in his eyes it was almost always the same. he would have his knees on my shoulders and, would just be punching me in the face. It was um, thinking back now. It's a you know, it's a it's a memory I've, I've never really got out of my mind. You know, I'm, I kind of can go back into thinking about that. Um, there was some sexual abuse in my family as well, not just um, not just me, um, with regard to members of of my family. Um, but I think the. The, the thing for me, and, you know, go back to that song, you know, the, the Power of Love song. Um, I think the thing for me is I never I never thought I would have love, like genuine love. I didn't mm. think I'd ever really feel love. I think as a kid, um, you know, how did you get the black eye? How did you get the two black eyes? Where have you been the last week? Um, you become really good at lying. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say is that obviously um, we're so much better now, you know, 2022 you guys are talking about lifeline what an amazing you know what, what an amazing wonderful service that we now have for, for kids um but even at school you know a kid can't be away now for a week without an explanation of why you can't rock into school with a, a black eye or turn up twice with a black eye or whatever yeah. that might have been you know um so that's different mm. um i also think that um when i when i look back at that it's it's not something I would ever admit to anyone, mm. you know. But but if it did come up, it would be I got a flogging off my dad. Yeah, I got a flogging off my dad too. You know, it was and it was it was kind of whisked away mm. a little bit like that. I think um, I think like everything, there were probably degrees of of what might have been happening in different families. I don't know about you guys. I I have a view that that <laughs> I don't want to dump this onto this whole generation of men, but I do have a view that. Um, as a 50 year old man the fathers of my generation were quite violent men I, I I've had I, and because I've heard and I don't know mm. whether I now get a lot of the stories you know obviously in the college but I, I this is not a story that that I share and I think oh I don't know anyone else mm. I know so many other men mm. that, that that had very violent upbringings really violent fathers mm. um, I like to think that We've changed now, a couple of generations on too. You know, we probably cuddle our kids too much now. As the, as the, as the thing that we get, you know, get into trouble for. Um, so for me, I, th- I the, the violence, and I think the hardest thing for me to work through was it was just me. Mm. He didn't hit anyone else. Um, I've never been able to work that out. My sisters and I talk about it. We can't work that out. There's a lot of jokes, as you would understand, as to why from them. Um, but I, I honestly don't know why. I will tell you, um, and I hope this helps, as a as a 35-year-old, after I'd done quite a lot of work um, through coaching and, you know, through doing some work on myself, I was actually holding my, um, my dad's hand when he passed away. Mm. So I, I'd been able to go back into his life in that last couple of days um, and just... Be with him and let him know that um, I wanted to be with him and let him know that I hoped that he was okay. I actually um, I had a a really long conversation with him. He didn't talk back. Mm -hmm. He was in a coma. Yeah. But I I had a good opportunity to have a really nice long conversation with him about how I wish I had have known more about his upbringing and and what had happened with him. I'm sure it was violent. I'm sure it was terrible.
1: Did you talk about forgiveness?
2: I did, but I didn't feel there was anything to forgive, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I'd gotten to a point where um, where there was no forgiveness required. Yeah. I just wanted to find out more. I, I wish I had have had an opportunity to sit down and say, tell me about what happened with you as a kid. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that it was pretty similar to what might have happened with me. Um, like I said, I'm certain that my dad had some – and. Please, I don't know what I'm talking about here, but I'm pretty sure he had some pretty significant mental health issues yeah. that were undiagnosed. Mm. Um, he certainly had some very significant temper and you know anger issues that were undiagnosed. Um, but I never, I, I got to a point where I didn't think there was anything to forgive, and what I mean by that was, um, I, I, I got to a, I got to a framework where I, I felt sorry for him yeah i was more i felt more pity for him as a person than i than i did about you know feeling sorry for me and i you know what, wanted i wanted you to know i forgive you yeah i you know to me that forgiveness um that forgiveness was about do you know what i if i hold on here mm. i'm just hurting myself mm. um i didn't feel i i i got to a point where i thought there was nothing to hold on to it it was it was i'm I have an enormous amount of love here for me. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of us we can almost um, we can almost hurt ourselves twice. Mm. There's there's an incident or the incident or multiple incidents, and then we beat ourselves up with shame mm-hmm. as like this second layering of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it wasn't about forgiveness for him. It was it was actually about me recognizing that the events that had happened in my life weren't happening now. Mm. The events that had happened in my life were were then, and I was a little boy then and and that little boy was wonderful he was resourceful and
0: and strong and brave and
1: and I um, remember that little boy that used to play cricket, and I adored that little boy, so you know you were you were a great kid
0: so i mean i think um I think the thing is in this conversation for anyone listening who finds themselves in a situation which doesn't feel okay which feels unsafe I think the first thing is the way to survive that. And I think what you've described is there were ways that you survived and sport was a great survival for you. In a, In the strangest way, controlling what you ate was a survival for you. How yeah. You, how you found your way through that because as human beings, we have an innate um, survival mechanism and it's primal, that that part of our brain that kicks in um, that does those things to protect you. And as a, as a young boy, that's what you were doing.
2: Yeah, but my advice now would be tell someone straight away. Mm. Tell someone out of your household if you need to tell your favourite teacher, mm. tell the pupil welfare coordinator or whatever that person is now called in the school, tell someone that you trust and tell them really quickly so that you can get out of harm. Um, I think that was, um, you know, to me that was, the, that was the lingering thing. You know, I was in harm's way for a long time um, and I was in harm's way when I, you know, when I, when I maybe need not have been. Mm. Um, I know when my mum and dad split and and suddenly there was this third section of my life that was completely different. Mm. Um and that's where I met you, Kim, probably yeah. around that time. Yeah. Where, where life was was fun and you know, it was it was safe. Mm. That that was the really big thing. It was safe. I didn't I didn't feel like I had to and it was walking on eggshells every second of every day. Because if you did the wrong thing at any particular time, mm. you know. But my advice would be you just need to find someone straight away. If you're in danger, you need to get out of danger. You need to ring Lifeline. You need to you need to, to find someone who will be able to help you mm. to be able to work through that. Mm. And
1: we do have a lot of resources at hand now that, as you said before, we don't have today. Yeah. I mean, we didn't have in the day. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, I don't think we had any. No. And if, yeah. I mean, we had... Mrs. Van Yeah, That's right, at school. Yeah, yep. at right. school. She was good. Yeah, she was wonderful. Yeah. We had her, but outside of that, I think we you know, we probably we didn't really have the, the, the wonderful places that we have now. Mm. But the, to me the number one message is just someone, you know. Mm. You've got someone. And mm. and whoever that someone is, find that someone, let that person know, go and see that someone. Mm. That there, there is someone. There always is. And if there's not, um ring this radio station or find <laughs> my number. And ring the college and mm. I'll find someone.
0: Yeah. And I think the thing is, isn't it, that by having these conversations, what we're actually saying is you're not yeah. alone. You're not yeah. the only person that's experiencing this. There are thousands and thousands of other people that have been in this situation too. Yeah. Um and so you're not alone and it is okay and you're not bad. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And and I think even if even if you think you are alone, which you do, you know, which I did, even if you think that to your core you're not mm. there is, there will always be someone in this wonderful world who will help you mm. to move forward
0: so you've done that I mean you've you said in your own words you've, you've found ways to turn things around and you did that using techniques that you learned from personal development training can you talk to us a bit about how because I, I believe you know from I mean you've written books you've done lots of things it's these experiences that have really shaped who you are today now and the things that you're doing
2: yeah yeah I I, I look back now as um, well, I guess I'm 22 years now into the personal development journey. I know, and I know it's easy to kind of sound like a wanker in this space, and I exactly. don't want sound to. Like a um, but I, but I, I got to 29. I was living in England. I had just had my third suicide attempt in Dubai, in a Dubai jail, actually, which is probably for another conversation. Oh, well, I'd like to hear about yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was in England, and, and I again, I had all the masks up and all the walls up and I was this high functioning, look how well Doc's done, he's overseas working. And it was, there was a little lie. Well, that was a lie really with what was going inside. Um, and I did my very first ever NLP course. And I did this NLP course thinking, I want to do something that's going to help men that have gone through what I've gone through. And, and those things for me were um, drinking issues, over um drinking, drug issues, over basically just taking whatever you can so that you feel happy. Mm. That's actually what it was. The, the, escapism. Yeah, mm. whatever the, whatever it was. It didn't, you know, and, and I, I was anti-drug for 30 years of my life and then I was pro-drug for 10 years of my life. Um, I loved drinking, but I I don't actually like drinking and I never really did. I liked the fact that for a little while I used to feel like I was good enough. Mm-hmm. That's what it was, right? Um, I don't know what it is for other people that do it, but that's what it was for me. Um, what I learned was you didn't need to drink. You didn't need to take drugs. In fact, all of the mess and all of the muddiness and all of the, the muddled, you could work through all of that. And that was through coaching and through NLP and through some coaching techniques and through personal development and positive psychology. But but really, it was about learning um, or my first phase was about learning that the events in our life don't shape us. They can never shape us. The events in our past can't shape us. The things that if they're not hurting you right now, can't hurt you anymore. Mm-hmm. And that was a really big one for mm-hmm. me. And I learned a th- it, the, this whole concept of, of, of living your life above the line. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine that below the line, there's reasons and above the line, there's results. And it's living your life above the line, seeking results, seeking power. And the reasons were always where I'd lived my life. It was because I was too fat, I was too skinny, I was abused. You know, I wasn't poor enough, I wasn't tall enough, I wasn't quick enough, whatever that was. Right? All of the stuff that I used mm. to make up yeah. for everything, for, for the excuse for everything. To getting to a point where, where, it's, where it's like, that's enough. That's enough. The, the, only, the only way that you can move forward here is you actually choosing to move, to, to move forward. Mm. And it's about, you know, we talk a lot about looking in the mirror. You can't mm. look sideways. Don't look left and right. The answer won't be left or right. It's mm. going to be right in the mirror. And it's about going through the process of, of going back to when some of this stuff might have happened mm. and understanding there was incredible learning there. Yeah. Um, going back to a time when, you know, for me, when I was younger, when I was, you know, being abused by my dad, and going back and understanding that that wasn't victim, that was incredible strength, that was incredible power. There were lessons there for you. It's just you didn't get them at the time. And the and the lessons were, you can work your way through anything. You you you're stronger than you could ever imagine that you could be. There is nothing in this world that would be able to stop you. The stuff mm. that was that was there, but it was always reframed to me as the the abusive side of that. Mm. So. That was the, the very first lesson for me was let's let's take responsibility from now on. We can't change what's happened, but we can change the beliefs. Yeah. We can't change something from 20 years ago as far as the event, but we can absolutely change the way we look at the event. Mm. so so true. That was and it was everything. It mm. was being able to stand there in front of the mirror and saying, "Well, do you know what from this minute forward, None of that is anything but a wonderful gift. Mm an incredible gift in really shitty wrapping paper yep. <laughs> very shitty but wrapping a, paper but a really great gift yep. and it was a gift that, that that you can move forward with and know that in your life when stuff happens you, you move through it mm. you you work around it you work above it you you are able to find strength to actually just like that little kid did
1: yep. who
2: got up off the floor mm-hmm. and and willed his way to the next day yep. and the day after that mm. in in fear most of the time Mm. there there are incredible lessons there and to me that reframe that ability to change that was one of the first techniques i that i learned you know being able to reframe the belief around events that's a lot of the work i do with um with my clients now and we teach our coaches because when you can teach them that actually they have complete 100 percent responsibility for their happiness or their sadness and that, that that it is a choice Mm. Then you suddenly give them an opportunity to make choice. We mess around with clients all the time, you know, of all of the available options that you have in front of you right now. Why would you choose sadness?
0: Mm, absolutely, you wouldn't choose sadness, would you? I don't think anyone would choose sadness.
2: No, but the power of the choice is the key, right? Mm. To, to, because then instantly they think, well, hang on, I'm not choosing it. I'm sad. Mm. Well, you're not. Mm. You, you're, you're choosing sadness right now, and if you imagine that. That sadness. I, I like to use an analogy of imagine a whole lot of imagine swimming in a pool, right? Just imagine for, with, with me for a minute. We're in a little okay. six by six pool, and in that pool are all these volleyballs, and each of those volleyballs is an emotion. Mm-hmm. So there's you in the pool, and the emotions aren't you, and you're not them, and those emotions are all floating around, and at different times, different emotions will float by you, and you get a cho- you, you get a choice whether to interact with the emotion or not. What I think people generally do is that they take the emotion on and they think they are the emotion, but they never are. You mm. can always throw it away, right? Mm. The other thing I see people do is they get the emotion and they push it down as deep as they can into the water. And I want you to imagine you're a volleyball, right? Mm. You've got that volleyball, you push it down. What happens when it's you let it go? It's going to come up. Yeah. Very, yeah strongly. And, and, and the energy mm. and, and all of the time that you spend trying to push this emotion down mm. that you can't get rid of because it's there. Mm. So to me, I like to acknowledge it now. It's like, huh? wow sadness mm. you're back i haven't seen you for a little while yeah. what's brought you around mm. and i and and i separate it from me mm. and i play with it and i'll be playful with that emotion mm. you know you look a little bigger than you did last time and a little hairier and i give it a name and i give mm. it some color and i'll give it a you know wow you you've grown a beard mm. and just have some fun yeah. with the emotion mm. um I think if you do that with every emotion that you're choosing to express, it, it allows you to understand that, that it's not you, you're not it. Mm. It won't stay forever. It's floating by. If it's going to hang around, you might as well play with it and have some fun. And let it understand who's boss, mm. and you're the boss.
0: Very, very, very powerful. So we're going to play some music as well now. So I'm looking at your playlist today of the songs that you've selected, and I kind of like the the Hunters and Collectors, the Holy Grail, because it sounds like we're searching for and looking for something. And it's how you, I think, taking some of these things and what you what you've been turning it into, and how you're helping other people. But tell us about this song for you.
2: Well, it, it, it's funny, you know, it's a sideways song for me because the Holy Grail is the cricket song for me, and it's always about this search to find that ultimate moment. And it's a metaphor, right? Sports a metaphor for life, I think. Um, and in life we have all these ultimate moments. But for me, the cricket one, whether it's my Parkdale boys or whether it was the Victorian girls or whether it was when I was working with the Australian girls, it was about getting a group of people together and finding a way to reach this destination that you've put somewhere out there and you've got to get them all rowing the same way, you've got to get more traveling on the same bus and all the other metaphors that you can think about. and right at the end of it, there's this thing. And it, it might be fleeting, but, but it's this thing that you've worked together to get. And it could be individual as well. You know, the Holy Grail doesn't need to be team. Um, for me, it's about setting a goal. It's about understanding at the end of the goal, there's this incredible, wonderful achievement that you get, but it's not there every day. That's that's the holy grail for me
0: so let's listen to the hunters and collectors then we're going to come back really and talk about life coaching and the impact that you are now having um on the lives of hundreds and hundreds of people not just here in i guess karen patterson lakes but around the world so let's uh, come back and uh, do that oh!
1: Hi, my name's Paul Kennedy, and I'm a sport reporter for the ABC. And when I'm not listening to the ABC, I listen to Radio Karen Tune in and enjoy.
0: And you are listening to It's My Life here on Radio Karen Kim and I are chatting to Glenn Murdoch, and we're covering a lot of ground today. We have a very deep conversation. We want to get on to talk a bit about the life um, coaching college that you established, Glenn. So, and I guess how you've taken those experiences that shaped you, Um, And now what you're doing with those and what the Life Coaching College does. So tell us a bit about what, you know, even life coaching is.
2: Yeah, beautiful. So for for me, coaching is all about, well, the the word coach means to transport. So um, coaching for me is about transporting someone from a place where they are to where they want to be. Um, Normally, someone is at position A in their life. They want to be at position B and there's a gap. And to me, coaching is about closing the gap. And then when they get to be helping them uncover a C. And when they get to C, helping them uncover D, And it can be in any area of life. I think everyone gets coach when they think about sport. You mm. know, you see the coach on the sideline and he's helping his players to, to win the game or she's helping her players to win the game mm. or um, or to kick better, mark better, bowl better, whatever it is, right? We all mm. get it. It's the exact same concept. It's just that it, it could be in a relationship. It could be as a parent. Um, it could be as a as a leader it could just be as a person yeah um i think i I think people have kind of muddled their way through life so much without really realizing you know what everyone's trying to start from scratch but we don't need to Mm. there are actually blueprints for success in everything There's a blueprint for success in a radio station and Mm -hmm. being a radio host. There's a blueprint for success in being a property developer. There's a blueprint for success in growing a business. There's a blueprint for success in relationships in all aspects of life, right? I think what coaching does is it it helps people understand, hey, there's already a way to do this that's gonna work. Why don't we just skip to that Mm -hmm. and, and help me to get you to that point? So you find out where they're at, work out what's not working, Help them, Im, uh, you know, sort of import the bits that that they might need to do that are working, and then you go from there. That that's really what a coach does. Um, if you if you want to think about it in terms of a scale, I think people sit on a scale from negative ten to positive ten. Negative ten, let's call that the disease model, and we'll call them you know let's let's say a, a men, the the mental disease model. Mm-hmm. I think that the the things like psychiatry. Um, Psychology, they're excellent at taking people from sub ten, mm-hmm. minus ten to zero, mm-hmm. to what we might call a, a normal, um, regular functioning person. Right. Yep. I think coaching works from zero to plus ten. Mm-hmm. It's to help people to have a really great, flourishing, hype And I, I like to use the word high performing because the background with sport. Yeah. But people to have a really good high performing life. Yeah. You know, who, be, be, everyone wants that. Hey. Be, be, well, they don't that's the thing karenza it's funny most most people don't they're mm-hmm. happy with six out of ten until they realize how great ten is how much better life feels when you're waking up vibrant excited really keen to do what you're doing you guys are high performing people you, you kind of get it naturally right what i want to do is help people who are at five and six and say hey let's shake the tree a little bit here Why why don't we work to Towards you, living every single day mm. as the best possible version of you that you can be. Why not? We're mm. here once that we know of. Mm. It, it might as well be the best once that you can do.
1: Yeah. Now you you've started a, a life coaching college and uh, become the well you were the founder and now in the CEO. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. So it's called the Life Coaching College. If you want to look it up, it's the Life Coaching College About uh, twelve years ago now, mm-hmm. I decided that I was going to start my own college. I'd done probably eight or 10 courses around the world in coaching. And I thought, you know what? I reckon if I grabbed a little piece out of all of those and, and, and sort of bought in my background doing sports psychology, put them all together and then rung the best people in Australia that had those skills already and asked them if they would work with me, mm-hmm. I could create a pretty bloody cool thing. Mm. And everyone said to me, you're mad why would they want to do it i'm like well let's just find out so i rang the guy who was what i thought the best hypnosis trainer in australia and i said hey you know what yeah you're out there i'm here i don't have hypnosis you're really cool why don't you come on the journey with me i want to build australia's biggest coaching school I want to change the whole entire country mm-hmm. and he said yes wow. i did the same thing with australia's best nlp trainer at the time i rung her and by the way um this was the call on my. There's no way she's going to say yes. Mm-hmm. And I rang her and she said yes. Amazing. She it? said, You know what, Glenn, I've been flogging out this thing for 15 years on my own. It's really, it's been really tough going. It's, you know, I'm exhausted. I'm at the end. I'd love to just rock it into 100 days just knowing I've got students here. Mm-hmm. Come you don't
1: along. Ask, the answer's always no. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you
2: know what? Every single person I rang said yes. Wow. Yeah, and incredible. so instead of having to run around and become. The guru in all of these individual skills, I brought them all in wow, and they're all amazing. running around the country, running our training. And it's it, it's brilliant. Mm. We've got, I think we had about two and a half thousand students now around the world that have done the course. They're all out there doing incredibly wonderful things. Some of them have come back after 10 years in our training for me, doing what they've learned. Um, we've gone from having, I think we had 22 days of training listed in our first year we now do 500 days of training around the country.
0: And so, who can come and do the training? What is the training? What is it that you're putting your hand up for?
2: So, any, anyone that wants to either become a coach, so become a life coach with clients, actually as their business, mm-hmm. learn the skills of coaching to utilize them at work, um, or if they want to just do personal development, you know, they want to learn some of the cool stuff that I learned to change my life, and it was all through coaching. They're the three groups of people that come and see us, so the vast majority of them, they want to have their own coaching business, leave their job, hey, I'm you know working forty hours a week for this guy, I might as well work forty hours for myself, and I want to do something that counts. They're the people that ring.
1: are they short courses, long courses?
2: Diploma is about six months. Okay. Yeah. So within six months, you can have your diploma of life coaching. We teach you everything that you need all the skills to be a coach, plus all the marketing skills, build your website, teach you the business skills that you need. So that sort of start here, finish in six months' time, you're out, ready to go, clients, change your life, change hundreds of other lives.
0: That's a very powerful purpose, isn't it? Change change not just your life, but hundreds of other people's lives. And I guess that's what you do now. You, today, that's what you're doing.
2: Karenza, that was the reason for the school. I, I got to a point where I thought if it's just me, there are only the people that I'm with. If I've got an army out there, then that army can go out and do the work. And that's the thing that keeps me, you know, it, it helps me sleep at night. I get phone calls. I get Facebook posts. I get messages from people I've never met. Who say, "Hey, you changed my life" because I'm working with this guy or that guy? Or my students will come back and say, "Hey, I had I had one on the weekend. Actually, just did a presentation for three thousand people around the world in a, her first ever global presentation." And I'm like, "That's pretty cool." That's very. Cool. That's pretty cool. Mm. She did a course a couple of years ago. Mm.
0: That that is absolutely incredible.
1: We could talk all day, Glenn. Uh, we haven't even touched on you know some of your cricket accolades. Uh, coaching the Victorian Women's Cricket Team, the Australian. You work with the Australian. Sorry, yeah, Australian Women's Cricket Team. Um, you've written a book, uh, How Becoming Five a books, actually, Kim. Five. Five, five, five. books. Uh,
2: Thanks, Karenza. I was going to tell her, but I thought, it, <laughs> I, I, thought I thought I shouldn't. It's
1: part of my ignorance, <laughs> sorry. Um, you've written five books. There is so much more we could talk about. And it seems like we've only been talking for 10 minutes, but our, our hour's nearly up.
0: It is. And I just want to just go back a step, Glenn, because it seems like, you know, it's such a powerful story. There you were as a kid. You know, you went through a, a really awful, really difficult, very, very lonely time at a point where you felt, I can't go on. And you talked about your suicide attempts and somehow you've turned around all of that and you've changed all of that. And here you are now, you've set up something incredibly powerful and you are helping hundreds and thousands of people around the world. What would you, you know, and I know we've talked about a bit this earlier as well. You know, if, if you think about that, that young man, what would you tell that kid today if you could talk to that that boy that was going through all of that what would you say to him it's a
2: it's a really good question and i have gone back and talked to him a lot of times so it's good um number one will be you're you're going to be fine that's the big one number two will be there are people here that love you and you just have to look out and find those people my sister was one of them my mum was another one they're there they're in your corner number three you are capable of so much more than you ever think that you are you just need to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And that's the that's the big thing for me. I think that's been my life. I'll be honest, I don't really think I'm great at anything. That's the truth. Um, but you know what? I never, ever stay down when I get knocked down. And I think that's that's my superhero power. Mm. Um, it's just I will walk through any wall that gets in my way. And I would tell the kid the same thing. You know what? Just get up. Mm. Just always get up.
0: Very, very, very powerful message. Well, um, you have been listening to It's My Life here on Radio Karen, where we have talked today to Glenn Murdoch about his incredible life story and some of the story of the Life Coaching College, the organisation that he set up and his work today. Now, you can find out more about those guys on the internet just by Googling the Life Coaching College. Um, it's been an incredible journey, Glenn, and clearly one that has still got a very, very long way to go. And we look really, really look forward to following your work and the work that your team is doing for many years to come because it's really incredibly powerful and amazing. And I know I'd just like to say what a a really strong person and and child, kid you were and what you've done is amazing and it's just been wonderful to talk to you this afternoon. So thank you for sharing your story with Kim and I.
2: Thanks, Karinza.
1: It's been an absolute pleasure, Glenn.
2: Thanks, Kim. And I want you to know how important um, you were in my life.
1: Thank you. And, and look, I'll, I'll always remember you as with fond memories. You were just awesome, an awesome kid and, and I loved you to bits and I still do.
0: <laughs> so if any of today's conversations have impacted you and you feel that there isn't anyone that you can talk to, you can call Lifeline Australia on 13 11, that's a national charity that provides 24 7 support so it does not matter what time of day or night so look join us again next time when we talk to another incredible local resident as part of it's my life and if you've got a story about your life that you'd like to share we would love to hear from you you can drop us an email at it's my life at Real
1: stories. Real stories.
0: Real people.
1: I just can't believe it. It was one of the most exciting times of my life. I just, I just can't believe that it happened to me. Me
0: winning the lottery. I just can't believe it. Real stories. Real stories. Real
2: people. Winning the premiership of the it was awesome. felt great holding the truth.
0: So it happened when I was 15 and it was pretty scary at the time, but you know, looking back, I've, I think I don't a lot.